This is the Mustard Tuesday afternoon, heading up to Bowther now. Catching up with these days, Northern Southland farmer Jeff Grant, who's uh, just come back from a pretty good holiday over in Europe. Jeff, welcome home. Thanks, Andy. It's always uh, nice to come back when you get on that return flight. You sort of think, oh, I could have done this a week earlier, but anyway, uh, it's good. It's always good to get on that airplane and hear that New Zealand twang. Yes, that, uh, um, don't hear a lot, although it's always amazing where you run into Kiwis and for what reason. Absolutely, especially now that we can travel, uh, because over there, like, COVID is just a thing of the past, is it, when you're travelling over in Europe now? Yes, definitely, but the capacity for airlines, airports and train stations to deal with the numbers is still causing a bit of a problem, so... You, I think at Heathrow we spend an hour and 20 minutes in a queue to just to drop our bags off. Uh, so you you still got to do a fair bit of queuing when it comes to travel. Farming in France, how's that looking? Because France has had its issues, especially, especially socially, over the last couple of months, Jeff, From a rural point of view, how's it looking? Yeah, look, I'd, I'd have to say that it was interesting in terms of the farms we visited. We did a couple of beef farms and a sheep farm. We stayed a couple of days on a property that are um, extensively sheep and also look at some organic chicken farms and uh, sheep seem to be doing the best of all the commodities uh, in comparison to dairy, grain uh, and beef seem to have had in the last couple of years are still quite good but the overwhelming issue especially in the areas that we visited which were more sort of central France quite inland uh, was that they just this is their fifth season of extreme temperatures uh, the last three especially, and saying that, uh, you know, the late summer, early autumn is just really knocking them, getting these 40-degree days, uh, stuff not performing well. Some farmers we talked to have shifted to completely into housing their lands from birth right through to slaughter, no outside grazing at all, uh, saying that was a more uh, effective way of getting growth rates because they can control the climate, uh, which I thought was quite interesting. Is feed an issue over there, given the high temperatures? I'd imagine it would be. Yeah, look, I've got a sense this time around, compared to 12 months ago when I was there, that uh, there was probably more summer feed about. Um, but because of the increase in grain prices because of the war, especially in France, just about every bit of flat land that they could find was sown on either barley or oats or wheat. Uh, there, there was a lot of cropping, even on the sheep farm we visited for a couple of days, they ran about 700 ewes and they were probably had about 20 or 30 hectares and little pockets all over the place and grain, and that was a reflection of feed costs for because they still feed quite a bit of uh, hard feed to their animals, um, especially in the sheep and beef industry, but also dairy. But... Uh, and then the grain prices look like they're coming back, but just the last few days with uh, Russia not supporting uh, the shipments out into the Black Sea, it seems that grain prices have again got the volatility back in them and I'm not quite sure where the season's price is going to end up. Compare that to the Netherlands, where there's quite a bit going on there at the moment. What's happening there? What's the latest? Well, they're still working through this development of the policy around removing both uh, animals and land out of the farming system in order to reduce the climate footprint. Uh, that's going to have, in my view, quite a impact in terms of 
what their foreign policy will be. It's going to target the dairy industry more than anything else. I, you've got a, a very strong level of uncertainty within the farming industry, not so much in that we visit tulip farms. They seem to be much clearer about their policy in terms of direction, but dairy was really uncertain. Uh, farmers were actually being paid to encourage them to, to have put their cows outside during the day, um, you got another 10 cents a litre, I think it was, or 10 euro a litre uh, to put your cows out, which I thought was interesting. Um, and this was to try and reduce the, the sort of climate footprint. But I, I, my sense is that they've got a new way to go to get the policy resolved. So yet again, it's just the EU of subsidies? Yeah, I, I, it's, it's interesting... When I asked, you know, especially where in the canal areas where there's, you know, farms that don't actually have fences, they've got water canals running between the batteries. I was asking them if they understood what the contaminants were in the canals and the water. They really didn't know. You know, I, there are a lot of ducks and a lot of swans, and I said, is the E. coli levels high? Is it sediment? You know, they didn't really know. They just sort of took the view that the government tested it and told them what they had to do. and the level of uh, interest in sort of environmental planning was was really driven by a central bureaucracy in the sense that there wasn't a lot of ownership to the problems. Uh, just finally as well, road cones. Uh, welcome back to the land of the road cone that is New Zealand. Over there, what's the situation like? Are they are they living on road cones like we have to? What's the go? I, look, I, I don't think I've ever heard of a subject that got so much... Talk. At one stage, there were three families that were travelling in rental cars for about 10 days through France, and we all commented on the fact they hadn't seen a bloody road cone. <laughs> and uh, in fact, we had a bit of an app site, and at one stage, people were sending photos to each other when they did spot it two or three. Um, there was just the, the, the stupidity here of having to have one every one metre down every road. Uh, it seems to be crazy, and, and was the most common thought. We saw was to say, geez, it was amazing how you could get through on roads and everything where there weren't any road cones and there weren't bloody stop signs going all the time and be just a completely different culture about making sure that the traffic can move. But it all just flows over there for whatever reason, way, shape or form. It's like Asia. It is absolutely organised chaos, but everything just seems to work. Yeah, look, I noticed well, even when we got into the UK, um, which we'll talk about another day, but... They've um, they've got that ability to move those motorways now. So when there's a slowdown or a lane close, they just slow the whole speed down to 60 mile an hour, 50 mile an hour, but it keeps it going. It doesn't seem to move. I, look, I experienced a few years ago where a poor fella got killed in a motorbike. Well, they just pulled the motorbike and the body off the side of the road and carried on. <laughs> Goodness. Um, yeah, we, we closed the road for 24 hours while we have bloody tape running around trying to work out what happened. Yeah, there'd be a government yeah, inquiry. Complete. Yeah, you, you just cannot afford to shut something like the wrong road down in, uh, around London. So they just look at it completely differently. Absolutely. Jeff Grant, always great to have your thoughts on the muster. Welcome home. Cheers. Catch you later. Jeff Grant there, Northern Southland farmer. Um, road cones seems to be a fetish that New Zealand seems to be highly invested in. Up next, Tuesday afternoon from Environment Southland, Jolie Hazley. <laughs>